You've tuned in to Supply Side Stories. The innovations, influencers, and breakthroughs defining the future of health and nutrition. Hello, and welcome to another edition of Supply Side Stories. I'm Fran Schoenwetter, Director of Content Marketing at Informa Markets. In cooperation with Food Beverage Insider and Supply Side Stories, our podcast today is supported by Virginia Dare, producer of fine flavors and the premier source for premium vanilla extracts, concentrates, and oleoresins made from sustainable raw materials. Joining us today is Henry Todd, Vice President of International Operations at Virginia Dare. Welcome, Henry. Hello, Fran. So uh, our discussion topic today will be all about doing vanilla right, right as an art. Vanilla is a slow art. It's an art that requires both an intimate knowledge of the ingredient itself and and an absolute, clearly an absolute dedication to the craft of its harvesting, curing, and extraction. I'm so glad that you're here to speak with us about this. Um, I know that Virginia Dare has been in the business uh, for many generations, I think over five generations, and uh, sustainable vanilla remains one of Virginia Dare's uh, premium premium products and part of the core work of Virginia Dare. Um, so uh, with that, I think we'll we'll dive into into the questions and, and we'll talk about the business and about sustainability. Um, so Henry, how how did Virginia Dare originally get into the vanilla business? It is a wonderful story and one very fitting of vanilla. We were originally making wine before we were making flavors. Wine obviously requires alcohol and very unfortunately for ourselves, prohibition rolled along. And being the clever people that we are and finding ourselves with a lot of alcohol on our hands, we had to find something clever to do with it and we very quickly became extractors and luckily for ourselves brooklyn which is our home in new york brooklyn is also the birthplace of the american pharmaceutical uh industry from uh many points of view all of these medicines needed to be flavored with something so it was just a set of good circumstances, really. Uh, prohibition turned out to be a very good thing for our company. We went from being winemakers to being, to being extract producers. And it's an interesting uh, thing to talk about in hindsight because vanilla is very much like wine in the sense that it's an extremely nuanced flavor. There are concepts of terroir involved, meaning that you can literally pick up flavor notes in in vanilla that will vary depending on where the vanilla was grown. So there's actually a link between vanilla and wine, and winemaking was part of our history. So this is a very fitting activity for us. Well, it must be uh, nice in your work to be a vanilla connoisseur. It's such a lovely flavor um, and to pick up all those nuances I think must take a lot of a lot of experience and practice um, and with that kind of u- unique quality of vanilla um, vanilla is unique compared to flavoring in general as we understand it's the only flavoring 
that's subject to a federal standard of identity? That is exactly right. In the United States, the federal government mandates what must be used to consider something a vanilla extract. It talks about a specific quantity of vanilla beans cured in a, a specific way and mixed uh, with a, a certain quantity of alcohol and water. So without getting into all the technical details, which might not interest all of our viewers, it is very interesting to point out that there is a very specific recipe uh, per se that must be followed in order for someone to call something a vanilla extract. And that is not true of any other flavoring material. Well, um, the, the source material for vanilla, of course, um, comes from a, a pretty much a single source in Madagascar. Um, can you, let's just sort of on a top line first, can, can you explain Virginia Dare's association with the Sustainable Vanilla Initiative and, and what the goals of that organization are? This is a wonderful organization and one to which we contribute a tremendous amount of time and energy. Broadly speaking, the Sustainable Vanilla Initiative sets out to do a couple of very straightforward things, but things that are very uh, difficult to get done on the ground. We are working very hard to reduce volatility of the vanilla market. One could think that that's a commercial question. What does that have to do with sustainability? And there's a very simple link between volatility and sustainability. If you talk to smallholders, that's sustainability talk or development talk for uh, individual uh, family farmers who might have several hundred vines, if you talk to a smallholder in Madagascar or a country like Uganda, you might be surprised to learn that they will tell you that when prices are very, very high, uh, they're not always uh, as excited as one might think they are because it can be a dangerous situation for them and that people can come into their fields in the middle of the night and they can uh, physically attack them if they're looking to steal their vanilla. They can sometimes feel that their families are at risk, etc. And of course, when prices are too low, they have a very difficult time making ends meet. So very interestingly, when you talk to these smallholders, one of the things that they will tell you is volatility is one of our biggest enemies. And of course, we can't engineer volatility completely out of a natural market. It's difficult to do that for any market. But one of the things that we can do is to try to reduce it to the fullest possible extent such that smallholders remain committed to the market. So that's one thing that we try to do. We try to find ways, mechanisms in which market volatility be, can be reduced over time. Another thing that we try to do is to increase market transparency through better traceability. I think that consumers all over the world in many different value chains are increasingly concerned about understanding from where their vanilla comes. It might not even be a question of it being organic vanilla or fair trade vanilla. People just want to have more and more of an idea of the region from which their uh, products came from. If there was a certain group of farmers who produced the raw materials, these are questions that increasingly 
interest to consumers. So another goal of the SVI is to increase, increase transparency such that uh, we have better traceability. That satisfies a uh, consumer demand. I think that one of the biggest things that's important uh, to us and one of the things we work on all the time is improving smallholder livelihoods. Again, that's development or sustainability talk for finding ways to make sure that vanilla farmers are making a decent living. And decent is a very relative term, but we mean something very specific by it. We would like anyone involved in vanilla farming to be living above the poverty line. There's a very big difference between getting the best price available at a specific uh, moment in time and getting a price that permits one to live above the poverty line. And the SVI is very committed to finding mechanisms to ensure that smallholders can make what is called a living income. If there's time, we could talk about that later, but that's a, another sustainability concept that basically says we have to take into account uh, all kinds of income uh, that a farmer might generate other than vanilla. We have to take into account all of their annual expenses, et cetera. It becomes a series of very complicated calculations, but we have to try and find a way to make sure that they are constantly living above the poverty line such that they remain to uh, they remain committed to the product and the farming of the product and finally one of the things that we're very concerned with always is making sure that the Malagasy origin is consistently producing high quality up to this point in time Madagascar has been the quality reference in the world we would certainly like to see that trend continue but in order to have customer commitment to the origin, in order for smallholders to benefit as much as they can from the product, it's extremely important for us to know that we can get good quality uh, and we want something better than good. We'd really like to see excellent quality out of the origin uh, as much as we can. And that's something that we focus on as well. And in order to achieve that goal, we advocate for certain legislative packages vis-a-vis -vis the Malagasy government, legislative packages that are aimed at making sure that vanilla is not harvested too early, uh, making sure that good buying practices are in place, making sure that only people who have the appropriate equipment to cure vanilla are curing vanilla, to make sure that exporters are following certain rules and procedures. So we do a lot of advocacy work with local authorities in Madagascar to make sure that the quality is the best that it can be uh, because that's what allows vanilla to develop its many, many uh, flavor notes. When quality is high, you can taste huge differences in different vanillas and that's what makes it such a favorite with consumers. It is that great uh, variety. So there are big four goals with the SVI, and that's why it exists. Oh, that was a that was a great explanation, a thorough. Um, there are other vanilla suppliers out in, in the market, um, and uh, and they're also um, engaging in the Madagascar trade. Um, what sets Virginia Dare's presence in Madagascar apart from others? 
I think that one of the most important things about our presence in Madagascar is that it allows us to truly become part of the social fabric in country. One of the things that we have to do as part of our own sustainability initiatives is to manage to the largest possible extent a large number of farmer direct relationships. That's very important to us for a number of reasons. First, while it's not always sustainable to necessarily put premiums on things, it is sustainable to a large extent to disintermediate, meaning that if the price of a widget on the world market uh, is $100, it might not be always sustainable to ask someone to pay some sort of a sustainability premium of 110 because over time they might find themselves penalized or they might perceive themselves as being penalized. What is uh, sustainable, however, is to say if the price of a widget is $100 on the international market, uh, our goal needs to be to make sure that the smallholder gets the largest possible percentage of that $100. So that's one thing that our local presence allows us to do. But much more than that, it's about helping increase a capacity. A development term meaning that we work together with growers to make sure that everyone is using the best growing techniques for those who want to cure, that they're using the best curing techniques. We run a, tr a training facility at one of our facilities in Madagascar and a place called Ancira Benor, where we have a large number of members of different co-ops that we work with who actually come to our site live there for a limited number of uh, weeks every season, sometimes even months. They're paid to be there. It's essentially training people or paying people rather to come to school. The thought being that you can't ask people, even if it's beneficial to them, you can't ask Malagasy people for whom time is money in a life and death sense. Uh, if they're not uh, growing food, uh, or making ends meet in a very immediate way uh, in their villages, they have to be making money uh, to allow them to pay for things like food, school fees, et cetera. So even though they're students, we pay for them uh, to be there very often. They lodge on site. And the idea is that they'll go back to their villages with a lot of vanilla expertise that they did not have before coming to work with us. So. It's a little bit about forging local relationships, making people understand that uh, you are a trustworthy partner. Uh, the vanilla growing region of Madagascar is extremely remote. Many vanilla uh, growing villages can only be reached uh, on foot or by motorcycle and outsiders are often regarded with a high level of suspicion and it's very easy to imagine therefore how it's important to forge relationships such that uh, one can uh, be trusted. So that's a very, very important uh, part of what we do being there. It's forging those relationships and then we work on a large number of other initiatives that might sound like they're a little bit further afield from sustainability uh, with regard to vanilla, but they're not. For example, we work very hard on financial inclusion. 
through Village Savings and Loans Association. The point being a very simple one. We try to put more money into smallholder pockets, but at the same time, if we don't also give them skills to manage that money to the best of their ability, the exercise is a little bit pointless. So we have a huge amount of our time and effort that goes towards financial inclusion. That's particularly important uh, in a country where most people do not have access to the banking system. Another example of something that seems like it might be unrelated to vanilla, it's food security. While it does not directly uh, relate to uh, vanilla, it definitely does indirectly. If people are not uh, able to keep themselves in rice in Madagascar, that is the staple food. Vanilla farmers are very often prone to resorting to what is called a flower contract. A uh, flower contract is not flour uh, as in the flour that we would use to make bread or cake. It's literally uh, the orchid of the vanilla vine. And if vanilla growers do not have enough food at a specific moment in time, enough rice, they might be enticed by a rice holder to barter future vanilla production at a very uh, unfavorable rate to themselves in order to get rice in early. And because Malagasy growers only have one word, that's how things work uh, in the bush. Everyone's ability to borrow depends on their ability to pay back when they say that they will pay back. So the issue with flower contracts is that vanilla growers who engage in them often pick their material much too early in order to reimburse the people who gave them rice. And the reason for that is they're afraid that if they wait too long, that someone might steal their vanilla. When they pick too early, their quality is poor. And if you multiply that experience by thousands of thousands of growers, if you can help improve their food security, they are less likely to resort to flower contracts, which indirectly contributes to better vanilla quality. So it's not an obvious association that one would make, uh, food security and vanilla quality, but as an example, of something one understands when one is operating in country and one is really part of the social fabric. So it's more than just a, a purchasing relationship. Obviously, um, as you stated, it's you're part of the social and economic fabric of a society that has a large dependency on the economics of this particular crop. And it really, of course, contributes to the circular economic model where if those growers can can sustain properly and are protected appropriately economically, they can produce a quality product that then, of course, raises the ship for all of the parties there, as well as the the company, Virginia Dare, and and of course for all of us consumers getting a quality product. Um, that's a deep commitment, and clearly that's taken many decades to cultivate that. Um, let, let's turn our sights a little bit more to to the the crop itself and to the product. Um, can you walk us briefly through uh, vanilla harvesting, curing, the extraction process? Um, we understand that it's um, you know, or I guess I've learned recently that it's a pretty sophisticated cultivation process. Um, so uh, give us a give us a look see into that. Sure. This is one of the most fascinating stories that exists uh, within the food industry. The vanilla plant is an orchid. 
and it produces a flower uh, in almost all vanilla producing countries in the world. One exception is Uganda, but everywhere else in the world, a vanilla vine will produce a flower once a year. One flower gives one bean. And most interestingly, the flower, when it opens, it typically opens mid to late morning, and it will only be viable for pollination for several hours over that one day, uh, from sometime between mid to late morning, as I indicated, to early to mid-afternoon. If someone does not hand pollinate that flower that day during that window, that flower will produce no bean and you have to wait for an opportunity for another year. That's fascinating in and of itself. The people who pollinate flowers are sometimes called in Madagascar uh, marriage makers or les marieuses uh, in French for a very simple reason. Uh, vanilla flowers have both uh, sexual organs of uh, the male and the female and a marriage or a marriage maker will go about a pollination by folding down something that separates the two different organs, squeezing up pollen from the bottom of the flower and folding one organ over the other such that pollination occurs. In Mexico, that process occurs naturally uh, by a bee that is indigenous to that country. That bee does not exist anywhere else in the world. It's called the Meloponi bee. Uh, it does not, it's not a great employee. Uh, even in Mexico, it does not do its work consistently. So even if the bee did exist in other parts of the world, we would still need hand pollination. Once the actual flower is pollinated, it should be left on a vine for eight to nine months. During that time, the bean looks like a very long green bean. It's very uh, dark green in color. If you were to touch it, uh, it's hard. It um, gets softer later uh, as it starts getting towards maturity. It becomes a little bit yellowish on the uh, tip. It gets a, a small raised stripe along the side of the bean. And that's when we know that it can be picked because it's reached maturity. It's very important to pick only at maturity because during the eight or nine months that it's sitting on the vine, you can almost think about it as a human pregnancy. There is so much development that is going on, particularly during the last two months. All of the chemical compounds, which will later create flavor compounds during the curing process, many of them are forming over the last several months. So it's very important to get good quality vanilla with a full flavor profile that it is left on the vine until maturity. When it's finally picked, this is when the story really becomes fascinating. Uh, vanilla is a little bit of a, a diva in terms of food products, and it needs to basically go away for a spot treatment for six months in order for it to develop the flavor uh, that we all know and love. When a vanilla bean is actually picked, we have three or four days at the most to get it to a curing station where we actually prepare the vanilla. And the first step in the curing process is to give each and every bean a nice hot bath. Depending on the length of the bean and the maturity of the bean, the temperature of the water will be a little bit different but it's very hot. This is called the blanching process. The beans are scalded 
uh, usually for two to three minutes. They're taken out of large vats. They are immediately wrapped in blankets. They are folded up like babies. They are put in big wooden boxes called uh, sweating boxes where they are left for 24 to 48 hours. Once that step is done, these beans are kept in blankets and they are literally taken out into the sun every single day uh, for six to eight weeks. And they're left there for, again, depending on the weather conditions, the type of beans in question, they can be left out from anywhere from half an hour to two hours. They're wrapped back up in their blankets. They've accumulated heat and they're left in different boxes um, for weeks on end. Once that part of the process is done, we begin an entirely new process. The beans have now become much drier. They've developed a rich chocolatey color and we begin a process called shade drying. We don't want to dry the beans down too much more at this point, so we don't dry in the sun anymore. We start drying in the shade inside of a warehouse. And as this entire process is going on constantly, the beans start forming uh, their character. There are many qualities of vanilla beans, and it's a little bit uh, like finding someone's aptitude in elementary school. Some beans are going to go in one direction, others might go in another direction, and our job is to make sure we are putting like beans with like beans. So we're constantly sorting through them as we go through this process, and they're massaged every day to uh, remain straight so that they can be very easily in inspected. And beans with similar uh, olfactive characteristics get put aside with uh, other like beans. And this entire process goes on uh, for depending on cure practices. It can go on for four to six months. And the beans finally are allowed to age. Some people use wooden boxes, some people use metal boxes, but this process is called the bonification in French. It's simple aging, very similar to wine or a whiskey. And as the beans are sitting in these boxes, they are further developing aroma and the aroma is becoming homogenous. Finally, the beans are exported and that can take several months. And after that, uh, Virginia Dare uh, might take several months to make a product with them and then therefore uh, might take several more months for that product to find itself in an ice cream. So interestingly, when you look at the time that has elapsed between the moment a bean was hand pollinated somewhere in the middle of the growing region in Madagascar, maybe up in the mountains, and someone takes a delightful uh, bite of their favorite ice cream, in some cases two, two and a half years have gone by. No one realizes how long and how complex the vanilla supply chain is, how long and complex the curing process is. And I personally find it fascinating that when you're eating something that's flavored with vanilla, the vanilla bean that's helping flavor whatever you're eating might have been pollinated uh, two years prior, maybe more. That's not something you can say about every food product. So, Henry, I think after listening to that story, I know that I'll never balk again at the high price of the quality vanilla that I prefer to purchase um, for my needs at home. And, um, you know, it sounds almost like, you know, vanilla is almost like a temperamental child. It requires great care to- and it absolutely hits. Yes, to its potential. 
Um, and it's almost a miracle that we've uh, that we've figured this out. Just so, you know, the process of cultivation, and also then what you spoke about earlier, just the requirements to be able to sustain uh, to sustain the crop economically and socially responsibly. Um, particularly because it's grown in such uh, you know narrow bandwidth environments uh, uh, ecologically. Um, I'm going to br bring us uh, bring us up to a close here, um, just to uh, just to chat a little bit about the future of vanilla. And you know, vanilla is and probably always will be the most popular flavor in the world, and it's used to enhance other flavors. So, with this in mind, um, how how is Virginia Dare keeping vanilla fresh as a flavor? Is there any um, are there any interesting flavor hybrids or or ways that elevate or uh, modify this this classic flavor? I think that there are a couple of ways that we try to keep uh, vanilla fresh. First, it's about the conversation that you and I just had, Fran. I mean, a lot of people don't know what's behind a vanilla bean. Vanilla is anything but plain. So one of the things that we like to do is to constantly try to educate consumers either through the SVI or through uh, efforts of some of our customers by partnering with them to try to better tell the vanilla story. That's one important way. Another thing that we try to do is to constantly put vanilla out there in new uh, formats. One of the things that we focus on a lot, for example, at Virginia Dare is finding uh, very interesting vanilla pairings. We might be talking about a vanilla lavender or a uh, vanilla honey. So making vanilla part of another flavor system where it might bring out notes uh, in the other flavor that one might not normally taste, that generates interest in the product. And then of course, another thing that we love to do when we speak to technically minded uh, people is talk about the complexity of the flavor. The more complex a flavor is, the more that you can do with it. And vanilla could have up to 300 flavor compounds in it. A tremendous amount of research has been done on this product and it's why the flavor of natural vanilla it can never be entirely reproduced with a synthetic alternative. The simple reason is that no synthetic alternative will ever have the breadth of flavor compounds that one finds in natural vanilla. A very quick example is the vanillin molecule. Vanillin is an artificial uh, vanilla flavor. Uh, many people, even those not from our industry, uh, have heard of vanillin or see it sometimes on an ingredient list. It is one molecule in natural vanilla, uh, and it obviously occurs in the plant naturally. It's different from artificially produced vanillin, but that's the massive and almost unique flavor constituent used in artificial vanillas, whereas the natural has up to 300 flavor compounds in it. So you just can't compare. They're two totally different products. And when people are made to understand what a wonderfully complex product it is, again, something very similar to wine, 
that generates a lot of interest. And we do things like tastings to show people the terroir concept, how the vanilla of one origin might taste very different from that of another origin, and even how regions within each specific producing country might taste very differently. And most people who are not who are not as deeply involved in the product as we are might not recognize that. But vanilla is not uh, vanilla. There's so much variety uh, in natural vanilla that it allows our customers to produce a huge number of very differentiated products and understanding that that's the magic of vanilla is one of the things that we really try to focus on to keep it fresh uh, for our customers because it helps them understand that the possibilities are limitless. It's ironic that vanilla is often uh, is often coined, you know, plain vanilla or white <laughs> vanilla. Because truly, it's a it's a connoisseur's uh, connoisseur's flavor. Um, I know that it uh, certainly enhances uh, the flavor of coffee because it's in my I have put it in my coffee this morning. <laughs> so <laughs> please keep doing so. Yes. So thank thank you, Henry. And is there anything else that you'd like to add before we close today? Uh, one of the things that I'm so involved in at Virginia Dare, as we've talked about, is sustainability. And one of the things that I don't think uh, people recognize is that uh, vanilla comes from a number of countries uh, around the world where people really depend on this product for their livelihoods. It's a wonderful product. I'm thrilled that uh overall that it is such a well flavor and i hope that people realize that when they are buying natural vanilla they are not only giving themselves the opportunity to have a unique consumer and flavor experience but they are really helping people in a number of developing countries around the world for whom to, uh, vanilla is a hugely important part of their annual income well, the more one learns about vanilla and the vanilla trade, the more one realizes how how much uh, it impacts uh, microeconomies and how important it is to uplifting the quality of life for so many people. Indeed. So with that, Henry, I want to thank you for for taking the time and making the time today to to talk about uh, vanilla. And um, I know people. Uh, have information to reach out to Virginia Dare um, to talk more about this specifically. Um, and I want to thank Virginia Dare for supporting this content today. And finally, just thank all of our listeners, our audience for tuning in and please stay tuned for future episodes of Supply Side Stories. Thank you for listening to the Supply Side Stories podcast. We are continually looking to improve your podcast experience and want to hear from you, the industry listener. Please take a moment to take our quick survey and provide your feedback at naturalproductsinsider.com slash podcast survey.